Welcome to Projector Darkly, a podcast about movies and how they help us become more human. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy Hunt, and with me today is my friend and co-host, Teddy Hart. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah? How are you? Good. I'm, I'm hoping I didn't destroy whatever goodwill we may have created with episode one. But I hope that wasn't your best shot. <laughs> it oh, almost no. broke me. <laughs> the green room almost broke you. It did. It'll be on your tombstone. I'll take it. All right. Uh, okay, so for those who might not know, here's what we're talking about this week. We're talking about a movie from 2015 called The Green Room. It's mostly a thriller suspense film with a, a few little bit of horror touches here and there in terms of the violence. So if you haven't watched the film, I guess we could start with this sort of viewer beware, I suppose, depending on your threshold for violence and uh, anxiety ridden tension <laughs> and gore and yeah, a certain amount of gore. Yep. Um, once you see the box cutter, <laughs> cover your eyes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as always, we'll be delving into the movie, full spoilers, all that good stuff. So if you haven't watched it or you want to watch along, uh, stop what you're doing right now, I guess, stop listening, go watch it and then come back. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Green Room came out in 2015. It's directed by uh, Jeremy Saulnier. It's his third film, I think, after uh, Murder Party and Blue Ruin were his first two. Uh, It stars uh, Anton Yelchin, uh, Imogene Poots, and Patrick Stewart are the kind of the three headliners, um, along with Aaliyah Shawkat, if you're a uh, Arrested Development fan. She plays a significant role in this. Um, but uh, yeah, so those are, those are the basics of the film. Um, dude, let's, let's just dive into impressions and, and thoughts. Cause I know, I know based on messages I got while you were watching it, <laughs> that it was, <laughs> it was possibly a traumatizing experience for you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should play some of those Marco Polos right here. Yeah. <laughs> for all the fans to listen to. Right. Uh, I think that can be the shtick of our podcast. That's true. You, yeah. I basically become your assistant, like Ellen DeGeneres' assistant, <laughs> where throughout all of October she sends them into these haunted houses and people right. watch them scream over and over and over again. Right, 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 right. I, I'm okay with that. I I would have so much fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> just knowing your reaction to this alone i'll be like hmm, how will he react to saw what will he the whole time i watched this movie um, my wife made it through one third of the movie yep. till the box <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time I, I looked at my wife probably four times and i was like this is such a jeremy hunt movie <laughs> This is a Jeremy Hunt movie. Yeah. So this is what I knew what I was getting. Yep. I'm not surprised. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> and uh, I, I, yeah. I am the nutcase you thought I was. No, I told you before. So to back it up just a second, when we when I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. You texted me and said, OK, should I watch a preview? And I sent you a really short one. Because there were, I think, a couple leading up to the release of the the movie. There was one that's, you know, just kind of like, basically like an atmosphere trailer. It kind of gives you a feel for what you might be in for, but it doesn't reveal anything about a story. And you said, nope, don't want to see it. Don't want to know anything about it. I want to go into it cold. And I think I told you, I was like, within like 30 to 40 minutes, you will know why I love this movie. I was like, because it hits on so many things that I love and adore, so... I'm glad that that came through loud and clear. <laughs> it definitely came through. And what are those things? Like name those things because most people are going to be new to a new podcast yeah. and new to you. So what are those few things that it hits immediately that yeah. you love? Um, so it, and that I hate. <laughs> this is why this is going to be a great discussion. Uh, 
so it's the basic plot line of Green Room is it follows a small punk band that is, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think they're from the East Coast in the, like, they're from like the DC area or something like that. I think one of them, that's one of the things that I love about this movie is that most of the dialogue is pretty low key and natural. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's, like you watch like a, a Quentin Tarantino movie or something and it's like almost elevated speech and that sort of thing. Like he loves dialogue. This feels more naturalistic. And so it's a it's a four-piece punk band that's been doing a short little tour in the Pacific Northwest. Their last um their last show basically falls through, and the guy who booked them feels really bad. So he has a cousin who uh, is part of a community, let's say, uh, that lives primarily out in the woods and they have a, um, sort of an out of the way music community hall. And it's not until he, he kind of warns him. He's like, you know, just get in, play your music and get out. Um, he warns him a little bit ahead of time. Like, Hey, these guys are boots and braces punks, which is an allusion to, uh, or a reference to skinheads in the punk community um but it's once they get there that they realize oh this is these folks are like straight up neo-nazis and so for me it hits um it 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 taps into an energy and a vibe of music not the neo-nazi stuff but the the punk stuff and the hardcore stuff (laughs) just to be really clear uh, it taps into that feeling that um, that's the music that I really got into when I was in college and still have a deep love and affection for going to um, punk and hardcore shows at Tremont Music Hall in Charlotte, uh, little festivals and venues around the area. So that's number one. Number two, I am a huge, huge fan of genre movies, and this falls into that category as well. This is definitely a genre film. Uh, and I also really like the director, Jeremy Selnier. I, you know, he's done, uh, four movies so far and has, uh, directed a couple episodes of true detective, a season, uh, a series that I love. Um, so yeah, it just kind of hits on the, the tension and stuff that I love in movies and, uh, the story, the darker storytelling. So that's, uh, those are the elements that I just adore about this film. So. Yeah, that sounds like a Jeremy yeah. Hunt movie to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like weird You're stuff. your own genre, bro. Yeah. You're your own genre. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. But yeah, so that's uh, that's why I picked it. I thought it would be an interesting swing from uh, the weird sort of cult classic vibe of uh, A Thief in the Night from episode one into what I think is essentially kind of like a new new school cult classic. I mean, I think this is a sort of movie that for folks that love these kind of movies, uh, these kind of films and stories, it'll be uh, something that people watch and revisit for, for years to come. I think you're right about that. Yeah. I, I could totally see this becoming a, a cult classic film yeah. uh, over time for sure. Yeah. And it, it has like these cameos of people that are, that are well known. Yeah. And um, it's it's pretty dark, but it's you know, there's a lot to say about the movie. Yeah. I'll I'll stop. And- no, 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 keep going. I mean, I've said my piece about you know why I love it. I mean, and and the basic the basic premise of the film is essentially they get there, play their show, and then they see, uh, they see the aftermath of a murder that they were not supposed to see, and then they basically panic and get. Uh, barricaded or they barricade themselves in the green room of the venue, which I just love. I mean, even that, like if, again, if you've ever gone to a dive bar or a low end punk type venue, I mean, the term green room is just hilarious because it's not like it's anything fancy. It's not like an actual like green room at a nice venue where, you know, you're well taken care of. I mean, it's basically like a partitioned wall away from everything else so that, you know, you can have like two seconds as a band to decompress before or after your set and then, you know, break everything down, load it into the van and move on to the next, move on to the next town. So it's perfect. It, uh, 
the room looked like a college dorm room. Yeah. That maybe somebody had been too lazy to walk down to the communal bathroom and probably use <laughs> the sink as a urinal and yep. just cut yep. their hair. That's what it looked like yeah. with a Confederate flag. On the yeah. Wall. A few Confederate flags, a few, uh, a few swastikas and you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, uh, that's the basic, uh, the, those are the bare bones of the, the film. Um, I mean, essentially it goes from, bad to worse and it essentially shifts from being sort of this ode to the punk music and the punk scene to being a, a survival film essentially so and i think when we talked about it before i described it as uh it probably fits within this sort of a subgenre of movies that involve like sieges in small places um, so like, uh, John Carpenter's classic assault on precinct 13 is very much kind of like a modern day Western sort of showdown slash siege film set in a police precinct where, you know, essentially cops and uh, criminals have to, uh, uh, basically form a tenuous alliance so that they can survive the night when an outside gang is trying to essentially take them out. So again, this for this to me feels like it falls very much in line with that sort of film tradition and storytelling. So yeah. Anyway, so I've talked a lot about it. What do you, what are your thoughts? Where, where do you want to take this from here? Well, should I serve you your criticism sandwich? Please. Now? Is that the, the much hallowed and long expected criticism sandwich. Where you start off with something nice. Right you actually say what you want to say right. you say something nice at the end yeah, and then <laughs> go for it great uh well my my initial impressions were that the movie was beautifully shot i mean the hues are great the the perspectives are all great and it starts off really intense from the get-go because uh, the, the, one of the, the band members falls asleep at the wheel and they end up on the side of the road. Um, and then from there, they're, they're trying to figure out how, you know, because he fell asleep at the wheel, car runs, the, the band runs out of gas mm -hmm. and they're looking for a way to, you know, get some gas because they're a punk band. They don't have any money. And so the next scene is them riding to a town on a bike <laughs> yeah. just beautifully shot scene yeah uh, just the way they're both riding on the bike and they siphon some gas and little did i know that that was going to be the least intense moment <laughs> of the <laughs> yes um but my i i really uh you know my my overall sense is like i i did enjoy the film it definitely pressed some of my limits uh you know you're a little less sensitive to violence uh than i am probably a lot you, that, that's fair to say yeah probably a lot yeah, yeah. for better or for worse and um you seem to enjoy gore <laughs> you have a you like get joy out of gore and i'm <laughs> i i don't particularly get joy out of it right. but yeah, you know, it's okay. Um, so that pushed some of my limits, mm. but the movie's a fun ride because of its intensity. And I guess if it fits in the genre of siege films, it's the, you have the anxiety of, okay, how is, how is this band going to get out of this situation? Human. Like I'm not even, mm. Yeah, you know, I'm not even wrestling around with just how do you get out of lives? Mm -hmm. How do we get out human? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. That's the anxiety of the movie for me. Yeah. The pressure of, you know, if you survive, but you've become, if your humanity has been, I, I don't know how to put it, but if you, you know, you're less human than when, with it begin yeah. and it's non-recoverable i mean is life worth living at that right. point i mean it's it's pretty rough but the intensity is great 
the there's not um it's not the kind of film where everybody's making the worst decision possible uh you know it's it, it feels real like it feels real and realistic mm-hmm. I, I like all the scenarios it was good yeah so it was a good ride yeah yeah i think you touched on something interesting there talking about is it possible to come out of this with your humanity intact? And I think that's probably the part of this movie that to me rings the most uh, true and or similar to a lot of the horror, the straight up horror movies that I like. I mean, yes, the gore, yes, the violence, but not all, Not you know, we, we've talked a little bit about this and I'm sure we'll talk more about it in episodes to come. But, you know, the horror genre is so diverse now at this point. And there's so many different types of ways of getting at horror as a, as a subset of film that, um, that to me, the most compelling for me, the, the ones that are the most compelling pose that question about, okay, how do I, what does our humanity look like at the end of this? Like once we've gone through whatever it is we're about to go through. I mean, I think of movies like the mist, um, one of my all time favorites, uh, if not my favorite film, the thing, I mean, you basically, you're coming through, uh, essentially being put through the ringer and you're being asked the entire time, like, what is, what is our humanity based on? And will we still have that when we, when we come to the end of this. So I, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a really uh, compelling question to wrestle with. I think it's a really imp- uh, compelling interpretation or beginning sort of read of this film for sure. Yeah, that's great. I, I do. Oh, anyway, it's interesting. I should say this, that your favorite movie is the thing and mine is tree of life. So that tells you, <laughs> Tells you some of the dissonance I love it. in the team. I love it. Or diversity. Yeah, me too. And yeah, they, there's a grief. I mean, there was a, a sincere grief in the film for me watching this happen mm. that, you know, they, that I'm just wrestling with like, man, is this life, if, even if they can escape, right. like if they can, if, if this ends, what's intact and is it worth living? And there's a grief with that. It's not just anxiety. It's just a grief. Yeah. Like, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's what, um, you know, for me, a film like this, uh, reminds me in some ways of like, um, no country for old men by the Coen brothers, you know, these movies that really wrestle with a, a real presence, uh, or expression of evil. And I think that's, a for me, that's that's another aspect of these sorts of stories that, that fascinate me because I think it's, I think it's easy, or I, I guess I should say it, in my sh- relatively short-lived experience and the things that I've seen and witnessed, uh, I feel like it's easy sometimes for us to write off evil in a way that is almost dispersonal or Im- impersonal. But to see it embodied in stories like this, I think present it in a way that makes it uh, basically we're forced to to grapple with you know what does it look like to to face that evil and what do we do in the face of evil like that um, and I think that's I think the chosen evil or the chosen uh, sort of group to represent the evil in this movie. Uh, in terms of neo-Nazis makes it interesting as well because it's not that long ago. One, that we wrestled with it from a global perspective in World War II. And then, unfortunately, it's something that has reared its head again, it seems like, with increased or renewed vitality in the past few years, just in events around the country. So I think that's a... I think it's a... I think it gives the film both a metaphysical sort of evil to wrestle with, but also a, a true, like legitimate, like there are still people in our midst who ascribe to these views and are willing to march, demonstrate and, you know, 
kill people for them and you know what do we just what do we do with that it's it, and and it's i think it's it dovetails with what you're saying about grief like it like we should grieve that this is even something that we still have to wrestle with that that, that it's a, a a presence and it's a um what's the word i'm looking for it's a uh it's a viewpoint on life it's a philosophy about life and about other people having lesser value because of their skin or because of their you know descendancy or heritage um so yeah i think that's another one of the aspects of the film that to me feels like it's just become more resonant even since you know it came out 2015 yeah i can i can see that i i think that there's a definitely personification of evil in terms of the villains or the force at work in the film mm -hmm. happen to be neo-nazis and that's important to wrestle with I, th I think even on a much more broader scale one of the reasons that the film like had me constantly taking my own temperature and not liking how I was feeling at certain points about the future for the characters who I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. um, part of part of the um, daunting and almost inescapable nature of the evil and its effects. I mean, they they transcend even just like the personification of like or the embodiment of neo-nazis but like black and black people in america people of color women mm -hmm. face a kind of principality and power of white supremacy or, or systemic racism or yeah. patriarchy or misogyny that does horrible abuses to them as they try to hold on to their humanity or or like live into their humanity mm -hmm. and that's part of the ways that i felt i was being drawn into a certain kind of empathy in the film like and why i was carrying grief yeah. and why <laughs> you know i don't as a white cisgendered male i don't i i don't carry grief in that way um because of what i'm confronted with or what stands in front of me what what power uh or force principality however you want to say it um how the world is ordered um for my benefit right. that's one of the strengths of the film is i think that this kind of art has a way of drawing us into oh that this feeling is what a good portion of the world mm -hmm. lives with in as as just human beings day in and day out. Yeah. 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 Well, and also the realization that for better or for worse, because this is this is the other thing that I wrestle with uh, fairly regularly is the knowledge that the people that have caused that fear by and large are folks that look like you and me and that, you know, what is that? What, you know, one, what do we do with that? And then how do we, uh, even begin to try to start not even just necessarily making amends, but like where, where do we start the work to, to, to try to undo, but also, shift things so that the fear is lessened i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense here but i think that's that's the other part of that that this this sort of movie helps me wrestle with is saying okay if if this is what um for lack of a better word my you know guys who look like me and guys who uh you know come from sort of my background of privilege or whatever you want to call it if this is what they've done now what do i do with that knowledge and how do i try to upend and subvert that in a way that helps make things better for 
everybody. Yes, yeah. it's, it's tough. I mean, it's a it's a tough thing to to wrestle with, but I think it's a I think it's a good thing to wrestle with, and I think it's it's worth grappling with. Yeah, there's a lot to grapple with. I know that we've done some exchanges on the film prior to this Mm -hmm. and you had some great reflections on how when you watched it it had you thinking about charlottesville yeah i'd I'd love to hear you say more about that well i think i I guess that kind of goes into what i was saying about the choice of you know, the, the personification, the representation of evil and this being neo-Nazis. And so part of it is admittedly tied up in family history. You know, I come from a long line of military service. I'm basically like the first male in our family in probably three or four generations to not serve in the military. But what that means is that, you know, my father, my grandfather's uncles, great uncles, great grandfathers served. And so I have Obviously, I wasn't alive at the time, but through through, if I have any sort of consistency, because, you know, one of the things that the Army military service brings is kind of a disconnect because you're constantly essentially on the move. You're either, you know, you're stationed at a base for a time and then you get moved to another base. And so I didn't grow up with a real strong sense of family outside of my immediate parents and my my sister and so what connective tissue i did have uh to family was through all these stories of military service so like i have a great grandfather who was a uh, a brigadier general during world war ii and he wrote you know uh infantry manuals and training materials for soldiers during that era i have a a great uncle who was a fighter pilot who was shot down and captured by the germans and, um, you know, was a prisoner of war and then later escaped and made it, made it home. So for me, I think the presence of this sort of the evil that Nazis and Nazism represents always felt fairly real to me, I guess. Not, not like an obsessive way. It wasn't like I grew up every day thinking like, you know, I mentioned Quentin Tarantino. It's not like it's, you know, a retelling of Inglorious Bastards where, you know, you got to go out and get Nazi scalps. <laughs> but it was, it, it, it felt like a real legitimate thing. And so this movie came out right before um, <clears throat> the Trump administration. And with his coming into office, like I said before, it feels like these sorts of expressions of hatred via neo-Nazi demonstrations, uh, white supremacy sort of actions and behaviors, um, feels like it's been given a second breath or a third breath or, you know, whatever iteration we're on, a new breath of life in our country. And so Charlottesville, to me, encapsulates this in a real-life way that I think, in retrospect, gives this film... Uh, added weight because you're seeing in Charlottesville the repercussions of what happens when you equivocate essentially and I think and again it's not to I'm not saying that everybody needs to necessarily walk around day in and day out being like okay where are the Nazis and we need to take them out but it's it's an understanding that this is a real uh, these are real philosophies and real worldviews that have repercussions and Charlottesville I think is a, is a perfect example of that that you know you had again a bunch of white dudes uh khakis and polos carrying torches or tiki tiki torches uh you know saying things like blood and soil and you know Jews will not replace us and ultimately I think her name was Heather Heyer was the woman who was killed uh, when a when a car ran over her during one of the demonstrations, so it's it's a um, yeah. I feel like this takes on new weight in light of those events because it's an it's an evil and it's a it's a philosophy that we 
I think, need to be ready to fight against and to stand up against, essentially. I mean, I think it's something that we need to be aware of that, kind of to your point about um, the different groups that have that do live in fear on a regular basis. I think for guys like you and me, it's easy to be like, ah, well, we defeated that in World War II. We're done with it. You know, that, that was done. We decided. And you see things like Charlottesville and elsewhere throughout the country over the past few years and say, and, and you just have to say, oh, no, we're not. We're not done with this. Like, it's still very much a thing that we have to grieve, have to wrestle with and figure out, okay, how do we, how do we stand up uh, for what's right in ways that are effective that also, to your point, don't allow us to lose our own humanity in the process, I guess. So I think that, I think that's where one of the key things I've been wrestling with. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. It has me reflecting a lot on my upbringing though. I was not, um, my, my parents were missionaries and not soldiers. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but we grew up, missionaries in germany and lived uh well we our church existed for the military personnel who lived on that base in Mannheim, germany so that's uh has me reflecting a lot and me actually moving back to the united states and right heading into junior high and because i spoke fluent german and played a sport that in the south wasn't uh one of the three prominent sports like nobody played soccer right. in tennis at this point like at this school right. i mean the immediate response was this this guy's a nazi you know yeah. like that's that's the thing and so that just has me reflecting a lot on uh, on just the same like some of the same things like i i guess you you grow up I don't, I don't know. This isn't a well thought out thing, but it has me thinking along those lines. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to try to like press into it, but a lot of what you're sharing is causing me to reflect a lot on my upbringing right now and Nazism. But yeah. Well, and I think, I think that part out, by the way, Say what you cut all, you can cut that out. No, no, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I want these, you know, real discussions around this are, are important and, and honest ones. And I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of what I think one of the other things we talked about when we had discussed our immediate reactions is, is a realization. One of the things that draws me to these movies, to stories like this is that ones that are, again, in my opinion, the ones that are really well done end up being deeply human stories. I mean, even if you're, even if it's a horror movie where you're dealing with, you know, great evil, whatever form it takes on, it's a deeply, they have the potential to be deeply human stories because they ultimately, uh, help us stare the abyss in the face in a way and say, okay, what, what do I think about this? What am I going to do about this? And as much as I may see such and such a, you know, evil or such and such a, uh, a presence or hurdle in my life, what, what would I do? I mean, I, I think, and I think that's a, that's a helpful thing because I think you, I, I think the, the realization that there is something there in those philosophies and in the fear-based aspects of why people are drawn to those things I mean, on one level, there's, it's not like any of us are necessarily immune to that. And I, and I, I think that's hopefully, you know, the more human aspect of a film like this that you can, you can take away with you is, man, there's, you know, what is it that leads a person to that point? And then how do we look out for those people before they get there maybe i don't know i'm i'm just thinking off the top of my head here but i th- i think that's th- i think that's the other aspect of this that that for me feels compelling that um that hopefully 
we can speak into each other's humanities before somebody gets to the point where they think, oh, I, I need to ascribe to this sort of life view or philosophy, whether it's, you know, Nazism or, you know, more violent strains of white supremacy, you know, KKK, whatever. What is it that, that leads them down that path to begin with? And then what are ways that we can, I don't know, proactively deal with them, figure out how to help people see their humanity and draw them back out of it. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but that's part of what I think this helps me wrestle with at least. Yeah. I, I know that the, some of the tension, as I said before, is you begin to wrestle with, you, you basically have these, these punk, this punk band. Do you call them punks? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that works. Punks was like a word that like super machismo people would call kids or, you know, deviants. Right. Well, and (laughs) like most things, it starts out as a slur. If the community begins to coalesce and form around that, they reclaim it and own it themselves. So that's kind of, kind of where that came from. Okay. So, uh, but, but this, this band is put in this basically position where their backs are against the wall. They're locked in a room. Yeah. There's no way out. They're going to have to come out. Um, and I, I guess for me, you know, again, we, we, we began by touching on humanity is, you know, one of the things that concerns me in the film is, you know, how do you, how do you come out of this and not become what you hate? Yeah. You know, as you're forced, as the violence escalates in the film and as they become more and more aware mm-hmm. that the only way out is through the, basically through the band of neo-Nazis um, or Nazi punks or whatever. Yeah. Like, the, you know, at what point do you ascribe to violence in a way that you actually become like you were you you basically are i mean that's part of the most sinister part of the film to me yeah yeah is you know and you'd mentioned earlier like this is something that we should be standing up against you know and and I, i i i agree with that i i have the same questions about that as i do in the film Mm. like in the same vein that's that's like okay but how do how like the most sinister form of evil is to make you evil in defending yourself against evil. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's that is a, a really tough question that I was wrestling with in the film and asking myself if I was in this situation because you know that's what I'm thinking. Sure. If I'm in this situation, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, would I, would I just surrender and be like, you know what, this is, it's my time to go. <laughs> this is just not worth what, whatever visions I would have and what I would know and see and dream about mm. for the rest of my life would be these acts of horror that I committed yeah. acts of violence. You know, could I live with that? you might enjoy it my friend i this is what you like for me i'm like man i don't I, you know maybe like these are the dreams i've been waiting for um <laughs> i will I, I will say i have no issue with punching nazis so yeah there's an aspect of this where i'm like we're 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 gonna we're gonna fight <laughs> Bro, this is a movie about punching nazis it wouldn't be quite as dire as what i'm trying to portray i know here. i know i know um, yeah, it's just at what point have you become what you hate? Right. And that's constantly a theme that I'm wrestling with. Yeah. Even in terms of like uh, a, a passage of scripture I've been wrestling with too, uh, like that, that's along those lines. Um, for those who don't know, I, I'm a pastor by vocation mm-hmm. and uh, part of the text that 
I reflected and preached on a couple of weeks ago was First Kings 19. And it's the story of Elijah, who's one of the, the major prophets in, in Israel's history and in, in the Old Testament. And he has this moment where he runs afraid to the mountain of God to meet with God uh, on, you know, to, to hear God's voice. Mm-hmm. He's afraid his life has been threatened. And one of the most interesting things about his engagement with God, which is really bizarre because, you know, the kind of theophanies that normally would happen that happened with Moses before him, right? You know, there's lightning, there's wind, there's earthquakes and God's not in any of that. God's in the silence. But what Elijah says to God is really interesting to me is that, you know, uh, he tells God basically that the, uh, basically that all his prophets, uh, are dead and that they want to kill him too. Mm. And that they've been tearing down basically all the worship spaces, you know, which is seems like if you just read that confined to that one story, you're you're like man you know this is this is awful mm-hmm. but if you read the just the chapter before is like one of his most celebrated and heroic moments depending on how you read it is that that's where he has this showdown with the prophets of baal who are false prophets and he actually has this competition where they're going to call down fire to consume a sacrifice they both basically stand and you know, basically the prophets of Baal spend hours cutting themselves, chanting, whatever, right. nothing happens. And he taunts them. And then when when it doesn't happen, he basically makes it harder on himself, douses his stuff, his wood with water and whatever. But God consumes his sacrifice. And here's the thing, like at that moment is when he and the crowd round up the prophets of Baal. They tear down their altar. They round up the prophets of Baal and slaughter them. Mm-hmm. And So it's just really a bizarre thing that I feel like we as humans are constantly, constantly being tempted with, right? Right. Like when you know that you're like, you want to be like, Elijah, you just did this. You just did the same thing, you know? And so I'm not saying I wouldn't fight my way out. I mean, who knows who, why I would want to survive maybe for my wife or my kids or the, you know, some other family member would come to my mind. I, I don't know. I've not been put in that situation, but I, you know, the, the thing is, is like in, in terms of sheer survival, like we are cap- we are truly capable in, a, in, in the most, I don't know, easy is not the term, but we are truly capable of becoming what we hate. Yeah and thinking we're doing it for benevolent reasons. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the the villains in this again, I keep coming back to compelling. I mean, it's just a compelling story. It's so well made, it's so well told. Um I think I think what makes it where I'm more comfortable maybe <laughs> with the violence and the and as as you alluded to, you being a pastor, this probably gives uh, clues into why I am not a pastor. Uh, <laughs> but it gives, it gives. I, I think what uh, what ultimately makes this an easier decision, maybe for me, you know, in the theoretical at least, is that this is a it's a worldview that's bent on extermination. Like, and I think that's where this becomes more of a. Because I am, I'm more or less a, a fairly. Uh, I'm not a pacifist, but I definitely believe in, like, exhausting all other options before resorting to you know levels of violence that we see in this movie, for sure. But I think what makes the the Nazi philosophy so virulent and destructive is that it's it's a it's an outlook that wants to exterminate it's it's a it's a viewpoint that that in order to basically be what it is 
it's it's an extermination of whole groups of people and so that's then the i think that for me is the point where it's kind of like sort of that old adage of like all it takes for uh evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing which you know that's a i know that's that's cliched to an extent at at this point but that's i think where i really wrestle with this again going back to a charlottesville the thing that angered me the most coming out of that was the equivocation of here's this group that wants to eradicate people and then here's the group that's standing against them and they're both the same like they're both equally bad and in my mind that's the that's the other sort of this trap that we can fall into it's like equi- you know equating the two and i think that I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it goes back. I think we talked about this a little bit too in our initial conversation about this. Like there is a toll that war takes on people and there is a toll that violence, uh, takes on people. And what we ask are what we have asked, you know, our armed service people and others, not just them, but others that, you know, in the past have, gone off to war and done horrible, horrible things. Like there's a reason why people have PTSD. There's a reason why they need help and they need therapy. There's a reason why, you know, you have stories of folks that go to war and then retire and want to have nothing, you know, go and retire to farms and live in the country. And, you know, all they desire is peace and quiet for the rest of their lives because of what they've seen and what they've done. So anyway, all that to say, it's just, yeah, it's a really, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to grapple with. Um, and maybe the most concrete takeaway that we have, or at least that I can think of is again, kind of what I alluded to earlier, how do we, love and care for and work with people before they ever get to that point. Maybe like, maybe that's the most, you know, sort of concrete application from something like this is hopefully neither of us or anyone listening (laughs) will be faced with something like this, uh, in the real, but what does it look like to, confront evil lovingly graciously but in a way that hopefully disarms it so that uh harm is not visited upon others in ways that it's been perpetrated before in our history maybe that's maybe that's what i want to say about it obviously i'm still wrestling but yeah there's a lot to wrestle with in that a lot yeah you know, even in terms of it brings up fears. I know you have uh, five children and I have two. And um, it's it's even in the ways that we talk to our kids and have them think about what it means to not only recognize hate mm-hmm. and to resist like a, a hospitable life right but and to be afraid like we try to name those fears and recognize those fears in ourselves of otherness um but that would be one of the most tragic things for me as a father is to see or witness my children coming to believe in that ideology yeah you know yeah yeah. it'd be like one of the most grieving things i could experience yeah and yeah it's it's wild yeah same here absolutely i have a question okay so our first film was a rapture film (laughs) basically god's taken all the good people and left all the bad people on earth and this is what it would look like if you if you were left behind and 
without any guarantees of your soul being saved, but deciding I'm going to risk it anyway against the machine. Right. So you're not going to take the mark of the beast, which means you can't buy food. And eventually in part two, they start beheading everybody. Oof. And the, the evasion, like trying to evade everything is, is off. We'll, we'll right? have to cover that film at some point. Please. <laughs> but given the dire nature, cause there's some, there's some congruency in the films. Yeah. Like there's some congruency in the films of what they're facing, the insurmountable evil um, that is steering certain characters in the face. Um, which, uh, this is my question to you, which one would you rather be in? Would you rather be in, I think it's Oregon. Would you rather be in Oregon in a, in a green room locked in with those like just, I mean, at least you'd be with your friends or would you want to wake up one day and everybody that you have known that is good in your life is gone and you don't know what awaits your future? That's my question to you, Jeremy, which, which film would you want to live out? Man? I don't know. I, in some weird ways, like if I'm in if I'm in a thief in the night and all the people I love are gone, in some ways it's almost more existentially painful for me than <laughs> possibly getting hacked and sliced up in a green room. <laughs> That's a really fair point. There, there's, you know, it's a... Yeah, I I think there's an aspect of the green room where. I would rather just take my chances. If I'm dead, I'm dead. It's over versus wandering the earth or running from the mark of the beast for the rest of my days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, to be clear, neither are great options. Like neither, no, there is no, good ne option. neither are, are, are things to be, uh, uh, desired. Let's say, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think I'd I think I'd probably have to go with uh yeah, green room on that. How about what about you? Well, I know you would because you get joy out of violence and it was forced to come out of you. <laughs> yeah. God help everyone else. What's so funny is I've never been in a fight in my life. That's what's so funny. Like Oh yeah, I know. And I mean for the yeah. I've said to you, you've never punched me in the face, and that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> of course that's nothing than what you used to say to 13 year old kids that we'd beat up story. that's good i i actually like that perspective and i up, up until that moment i was gonna say i'd rather be i would rather be in the left behind the the thief of the night and I was going to say, because it would it'd be a big game of hide and seek and evasion right. and hustle, which I would love. But that's that I would have nothing to live for. Right. All the, all the people that I know and have, have influenced me and that I love were gone. And man, what what's left? I mean. It'd be horrible to watch my friends get hacked up trying to survive the green room. But, but hey, I mean, hey, if you get to take out friends. a few Nazis on the way, I mean, come on. <laughs> there it is. There it Here's is. Confession. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Yep. <laughs> Unashamedly. So I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. I want to be with you in the green room. Oh, dude, I think I think we'd put a hurting on some folks, maybe. I don't know. Or we'd be, you know, there's a... Do you know the comedian uh, Kumail Nanjiani? Are you? F no. He's in Silicon Valley. He's in a movie called Stuber. He was his his first his first big movie was The Big Sick. It's a story about he and his wife and how they met. Anyway, he's a big uh, horror movie fan, and he has a. And obviously, I won't do justice, so I'm not even going to try to like retell the joke. But he has a bit or reenact the joke, but he has a bit in one of his stand-up specials about how when people watch horror movies, 
they always envision themselves. They're like, oh, I know I'd make it to the end. Oh, I'd be the I'd be the last guy that beats Jason or Freddy. Like, I know I'd be able to survive and here's how and all these things. He's like, look, I know I'd be victim number two. He's like, I'd be the guy that walks down the hall and you see get dragged, you know, he gets knocked out or, you know, his throat slashed and you just see his feet being dragged through a dark doorway. He's like, and that'd be me. That'd be, I'd be out. He's like, <laughs> so that's, there's an aspect of this where I'm like, yeah, Teddy and me could bust some, bust some skulls, but then realistically it'd probably be like, nope, lights out guys. You're done. <laughs> yeah. The, the guy who's never been in a fight in his right. life and his friend who's only been punched once in the face <laughs> didn't do any punching right we're gonna fight our way out of the green right. room and get nazis right. yeah probably not if i'm betting right <laughs> I'm, I'm betting on the Nazis. right that's but that's that's also the power of this movie going bringing it full circle of just how well made it is that you look at these guys and granted only two of them make it out alive but you don't look at them and think oh yeah these they're gonna be fine they're they're gonna they'll be able to fight their way out of this, but it's, I don't know, survival instincts kicking in, whatever. It's just the, or the community that they have together that provides them that sort of insane belief or courage that there, that there is something worth fighting for and worth, you know, trying to get out alive. And I think that's, again, that's a testament, kind of what you were saying earlier about the film that there aren't really a bunch of dumb mistakes or dumb decisions. They feel like very human fleshed out characters that are, you know, just trying to get out of a really, really bad situation. And there's, to me, there's something really compelling about that too, just from a storytelling standpoint. So. Yeah. I love that. And there's definitely something about the ways in which because of the pressure of the Nazis and the time sensitive nature of the situation nobody wants to hear this dude's story yeah like nobody wants yeah. to hear his story that's important yeah. because is it till later that somebody wants to hear his story and that's ultimately yep. what what helps them escape yeah and it's interesting what what that's saying about story and the pressures mm -hmm. of evil to put us in in modes that are reacting to evil and becoming and not, and not being human, right. like the ways it pressures us, us to, yeah. you know, well, and to think about Abe at all costs and we lose our humanity. Well, and ultimately it's creativity that helps them get out alive. I mean, I think that's, that's the compelling thing about, I mean, granted there, there are acts of violence that they have to commit in order to survive, but ultimately what gives them a, glimmer of light and hope is creativity and that it's right. it's it's a reimagining it's a it's a and i think maybe circling back with takeaways or application not that there has to be an application from the movie i, I kind of in some ways i kind of hate that but um w one of the one of the takeaways is you know maybe what combating evil can look like is is new imagination and is new uh, thinking about, you know, looking for solutions and problems that on the face of it might seem insane or crazy. So I, that's definitely something I love about this. I also love that at least at one point in the movie, they are literally saved by feedback and sound, like as a musician, again, going to the like elemental aspects of this movie that I just love, like that scene where the mic drops onto the monitor on the stage and it's, the feedback is so loud that it drives the dogs out. Like that's just awesome. I knew you would love that part of the movie. Yeah. That's what makes the Jeremy Hunt film. Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's it is a cool moment, and it's a way that that you see that music is not considered a prop, and it's not just a prop right. for the film. Yeah, it's integral to the story. Yeah, I mean, and even just the the conversation they have, the the desert island bands. I mean, there's. There's clearly in the writing and the creation of this, there's a lot of deep love for these particular sorts of scenes, but also, um, but also just music in general, you know, that because that, the, the shift as they talk about the desert Island bands 
from when they're safe and comfortable and they feel like they, you know, need to posture a little bit like, oh, let me think about which band would, you know, sound the coolest for me to say versus when, you know, all of their guard, all of their, all of the uh, facades basically are dropped because they're in such an extreme situation. They're like, ah, actually, you know, my pick would be, and I'm trying to remember, but I mean, they basically pick like, did somebody say Prince maybe? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. But Prince is one yeah, of them. It's just from like Misfits or Black Sabbath to be like, yeah, actually, I really like Prince. <laughs> That's who I would take with me. Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And then ultimately the, the final scene where he's like, oh, I know. And she's like, tell it to somebody who gives a shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, just even, even stuff like that. That's just so perfect. They were uh, lovable moments in the film, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. So I think, I'm trying to think if there are any other any other themes or, you know, reads of the film, obviously, a, you know, a movie like this can, can spark a lot. Um, and I feel like in some ways we're just sort of just starting to scrape at some of the, some of the depths, but, um, are there any other themes or topics or avenues you kind of want to explore or? No, I feel pretty good about it, man. Okay. I feel like, uh, a lot of what I would want to tap, like I would be tempted to like try to think deeper about are ways in which I'll be confronted every time we do a siege film. Mm. Like a lot of these things will just keep circling back around and finding new things and new ways to, to wrestle with. But yeah, I don't know that this, this film like offers me like what, like, the genre offers a kind of reflection, you know, right. it sets up like, like Westerns would, mm-hmm. or anything, you know, like cowboy movies. Yeah. But yeah. You, anything you want to talk about? No, I think, you know, one of the things uh, I'm hoping that folks can get and, you know, as we have these discussions is for me, what's at the core of a lot of the stuff that I like is an appreciation for, the film as the film, like taking it on its own value first and foremost. And then, cause that's, I mean, just being fully transparent, that's not what I, that's not what I grew up with. Like I grew up in a culture that said in, in an environment, not at home, but the broader culture, you know, growing up in the South being in, you know, very conservative, you know, area of South Carolina, you know, if it's not clean, if it's not, if there's no profanity, like though that's what's safe and that's what you should go towards. And a film like this would have been probably labeled as satanic or anti-Christian or, you know, something along those lines. And I, I think the journey I've been on and what I hope I can help others with, maybe that if they come from this perspective, if not, then they're probably already in a much healthier place anyway, in terms of engaging with film, but just there's real value in taking a film, taking a director, taking a screenplay, the actors, whatever, whatever the, the, the whole of it, there's real value in taking it at its own on its own merits first and learning what it has to say and listening to it first and then layering on interpretations, you know, other viewpoints wrestling with that. So I think, and that's not just for this film. I mean, I think that'll be true for all the things that we cover will be, how do we learn and continue to learn and relearn how to do that in a way that honors the text, if you will. Um, but then also gives us a a healthy place to start as viewers. So hopefully that's, you know, for folks that this was either the first time watching a movie like this or, um, they're well versed in these movies. Hopefully that's, that's a takeaway on, you know, on either side. Yeah. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. And that's our episode. Thanks so much for taking a listen and going on this journey with us. If you want to stay up to date with us, be sure to follow us at Projector Darkly on Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>